The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. I think this is an important talk. And, and the reason why I think it's important because it, it really deals with all of us, most of us, or the majority of us, between Monday through Friday. Okay? Uh, here, here's what I've noticed is that, uh, that most of us probably are, by Sunday afternoon around 4 or 5, don't you begin to feel the sense of dread? Like a wet, warm blanket on a hot day that, oh, I've got to get up in 17 hours and go to work. And then, you know, it's 8.30, I'm going to get up. In 11 hours, and eight of those, I'll be unconscious. And you feel ripped off, like you don't even get a full weekend because Monday's coming. All right, then this talks for you. Let's go to Ephesians, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2. And uh, we're going to take a look at, at work and meaning and all that kind of good stuff. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. And, and uh, uh, you know, just to kind of catch people up and, and, and not assume people know maybe the story of this author, this is a guy that had pretty much everything he wanted, okay? He had the job. He was king. Didn't have to, he didn't have to deal with a board. He had to deal with a supervisor. He didn't have a, a, a territory. He wasn't limited by, um, you know, any other... Uh, requirements that most of us have for our jobs or a small business owner. He had none of that. And he was the king. And he was, uh, so he had no one to check in with. He had uh, pretty much unlimited resources. He had uh, a great curiosity and he just pretty much did what he wanted. So he had the job that most of us think we want. And, and this is what he writes about his job. So I hated life. I'm, I'm going to close there. Let's go ahead and pray. <laughs> Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled under, uh, under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. You know what's ironic about that is that he never earned anything that he had. It was left to him by his father. But the idea that he would leave that to one of his sons just bugged him to no end. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. He will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all the toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then he must leave all that he owns to someone who has not worked for it. I used to tease my kids when they were little that, you know, you keep acting up, I'm going to cut you out of the will. And I always heard them under their breath saying, okay, there goes two dollars. What does a man get for all the toil and, and anxious uh, striving for which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief, and even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Any of you own a small business or manage teenagers or a, a territory, right? This is, what, this is your job, isn't it? And it's funny, all your employees and all your subordinates think you have the easier job. They, they check out at five, and they don't, they don't think one second about their job, and you carry it 24-7. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see from the hand of God. For without him who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives him wisdom and knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless 
and the chasing after the wind. Uh, you know, it, uh, those of us who perhaps have, you grew up with Bible stories, uh, or maybe you've, you've, you've heard them in, in other contexts, the, the huge disconnect between God and humanity was known as the fall, right? You know? and, and yet, if you look at the outcome of the fall, there were some you know, curses and some, like, you know, some punitive responses to their disobedience and their, their, their desire to disconnect from God that happened. And one of them, is, we think it's work, right? I mean, you know, if some, what is the result of the fall? Work. Because if there's any punishment we must have, it must be work. That has got to be the, the punishment. But, but actually, work was not a punishment. It's not part of the curse. Now, there was a bit of dissatisfaction and meaningless that would come out of your jobs. But that's the result of the disconnect from God. He was pointing out, now it's going to feel like labor. But Adam had a job before the fall. His job was to manage and take care of the earth. He was a gardener, right? Horticulturalist, whatever. So he, he did stuff. He worked with his body. He, he would use his, probably use his mind to create and plan and figure out ways to, to enhance the beauty that God had already established and gave him the tools to work with. But he had a job. The, a job or work is not a curse. Now, it may feel like a curse to you. I get that. But it was not meant to be a curse, and, and yet, I, I spent, as some of you know, many, uh, many years before you know, working here, um, I guess last November or so, I was officially retired, uh, I was kicked out, and, and, uh, but, and, and so I, I've spent, listen, I've done a number of jobs, I, you know, a busboy, a gardener, again, no surprise, uh, the, uh, some of you will get that later, like, oh, ethnically, I get that, so I was doing that, and, and um, a sales rep, a customer service rep. I was a debt collector because you know they needed muscle in that position. And uh, <laughs> and until they found that guy, they hired me. And uh, uh, I, I was an HR analyst. I uh, was a sales rep, a sales manager, a district manager. I hired salespeople. Um, did sales training, sales analyst, sales operation, sales retail specialist. That sounds pretty fancy, doesn't it? Yeah. I'll let you marvel at my big brain for a while. And uh, so. Uh, uh, I was a, uh, a box boy, bag boy, the guy that would put, you know, would crush your eggs and bread <laughs> under, you know, two-pound cans of pinto beans. And I was that guy, and um, stock shelves. I was an ice cream dipper. You might say I was a dip. And so I was uh, the guy that did that. I had this huge freaking, you know, Hulk arm and then the skinny, wimpy kid arm over here. <laughs> I could crush concrete with this arm, you know. I was a cashier at Slavons, uh, Slavons and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, just did. Uh, oh, I, I was also. This is surprising because it, I, some of you who know me think you don't. You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know me. I was a carpenter's assistant and remodeled the entire bathroom. Thank you very much. Save the applause to the end. And it, it's still working, from what I understand. But you know, did the reti- I, I had. I operated a sawzall, and that was. I mean, I had tools. I you know leather stuff. I mean, I was. I was an hombre, man. And then I broke a nail. I said, I'm not doing this. And so um, <laughs> I was that guy that even, I, I really felt that I had arrived in my manhood when I was wearing a tool belt, eating out of, off a roach coach. I was like, this is a man's job. You know, I, have a, I have a man's job. Oh, I loaded trucks uh, for an independent uh, trucking company. It did a, a UPS gig at Soto Hub. Um, you know, it, I, I've done a number of jobs. 
And uh, I found that almost every single one of those jobs I couldn't stand, um, except there were moments on, or, or times that I had where I, I actually brought something that mattered to me to the job. So here's the first thing I want to point out to you, because this is actually probably, you know, maybe one of the more important talks I've given in quite a while, or maybe the talk. You cannot expect to find meaning in your job if you do not have a meaningful life. If you believe that you're going to find meaning at your job, you're going to be so, so disappointed. And, and, and then you'll, be, you'll fall into the trap of thinking, oh, when I get the promotion. Oh, when I get that next job. In fact, all the people that you think you admire, like, once, oh my gosh, if I have their job, because you know, the job I have is actually ridiculous, but once I get their job, that'll be great. Won't happen. Because the job is never meant to give you meaning in your life. It can't. It just can't. It's not, it's not capable of doing that. The job has no meaning. It's just a job. Now, now I want to point out, even if you have a career, even if you are a C-level executive, if you are a professional, if you have an abbreviation before your name and letters after your name, it is still going to, and you know this, if you're willing to admit and honest, be honest with yourself, it gets to, gets to be a point where it's just a job and you wonder, did I miss my calling? Did I do the right thing? In fact, this is why I think there's something inherently unfair of our schooling and university system that we expect 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds to know what they're to spend 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars to train for a job they think they're supposed to do the rest of their lives. They were perhaps maybe given the, 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 the skills and the training to learn how to think, to be creative, to be resourceful, and, and then perhaps think about a career path as maybe they hit their 20s. Because then you have an idea of who you even are and what you're good at or what you would like to do for the rest of your life. But, but, but a job is not going to give you meaning. You have to bring meaning to your job. You have to be the person that actually knows who you are, what you're doing, what you contribute. There's a... Um, but I think about all the jobs I've had, most, like most of you, you probably have a job that you do because, what? Why, why do you guys do, have your jobs? Money, right, that's it. That, that is, and, and you know, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in having a job. This is not a call for all of you to quit your jobs. That's not what's happening here. And this is not even a call to say, those of you, you should quit your jobs and go, and go work for a church. Because trust me, it's hard. That's not the job either, necessarily. Or go to nonprofit, or you know, go to Africa and join the Peace Corps. Nope, I'm not saying that either. Because every job that you have, whether it's here in the States or here someplace else, whatever it might be, unless you bring meaning to it, it has none. And it begins to be a, a cycle where you keep thinking something's wrong with me. And there may not be anything wrong with you, it's just you have the wrong perspective or the wrong expectation. <coughs> uh, there's a, uh, for those of you who haven't experienced the uh, the life-changing, transformational soul change that occurs eating a Douglas Burger. Let me explain to you what happens at this burger joint. Douglas Burgers is, is actually phenomenal. It's this great place on Telegraph in, near Santa Fe Springs. Some of you know, I commuted to downtown San Diego here from Whittier. Uh, so from Whittier, I would commute to different jobs in, in Palmdale, uh, Acton, Lancaster. Lancaster, remember, it, it had no escalator. There was actually like a city celebration when they put in a second story at the mall. Like, wow, these people need to get a hobby. And I uh, uh, used to commute to Palmdale, uh, Palm Springs, Ventura. Woodland Hills was my short drive. I was so excited. Oh, that's only an hour and a half, you know, driving. Um, but anyway, my, my point is that, uh, so this particular uh, Douglas was not on the way to work. 
it was out of the way, but I, Junior Burger with a Coke in the morning, I, I know, some, see, some of you think, the only reason why I did that is that most Tommies weren't open, because I would prefer Tommies in the morning, but, you know, you know, but my point, and there's one, I loved this guy, this is why I went to this place, he would say, hello my friend, I was in. <laughs> He could have slung some god-awful hash. I still would have bought it. And, and, and he was this guy that lit, like loved people. And he made you feel like you were his best friend. Hello, my friend. Hello, time no see. You know, and uh, I was here yesterday. And so, <laughs> and so I, I, you know, and some of you, you go to certain places. You shop and buy and do things at certain places, probably because of that one cashier that always just seems to be funny and interesting or cool and cheerful. Aren't you surprised when someone's actually cheerful, like the cashiers at Target? Are you shocked? Because I've done that job. I've been a cashier. You know, blink. Well, actually, no, we did. We actually had to read the price. And we didn't just get it scanned. We, had a, we really earned our five bucks an hour or whatever we were getting the day, in the day. And, and, and you know, you, especially when there's, oh, it was at a market. At Thanksgiving, honestly, I, you know, whatever. I was just making up prices. I didn't even care. Just get... <laughs> Eight bags of groceries, that'll be seventeen thirty-two. <laughs> Hurry up, give me the 20s and get out of here. I got somebody else to, re- to ring in correctly. But you ever, aren't you ever stunned when somebody actually engages you in conversation in a mean, what you think is a meaningless job? Like when the, like, you know, I, I know there's, there's this uh, phony hospitality that corporations are training their employees to have. I remember... <laughs> I used to stay at the Hilton in downtown San Francisco so often that eventually they, look, they get to know your profile when they scan your card. They go, hello, Mr. Martinez. Would you like a suite by the elevator on the fourth floor? Something, something? Well, yes, I would. <laughs> chop, chop. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it, they're just reading it off a screen. But occasionally somebody would not just read it from the screen. They actually, and how, how's it going today? How, how was your flight in? Um, it was good. How are you? You know, and... and like, wow, I'll come back here. I mean, I'm not paying for it anyways. The corporation was, but, you know, I'll give you my or their business because that person actually had something that maybe we weren't able to articulate. They actually thought in terms of engaging people and provided, even if it was just a few seconds, a service that went beyond just checking you in or checking out your groceries or getting you out of the store or flipping your burger. It, it, it seems that... For most of us, we assume that if I go to my job and I get my title, I get my position, I get my, my, my career in place, that I'm going to feel like I'm somebody and I arrived. And I, I'm, I'm going to save a lot of you a lot of time. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to learn by your experience. You can learn by mine. You don't get meaning at a job. You have to bring meaning to your job. It's just the way that it works. And if you're working only for money because, you know... Well, it's not bad. We all need money. I, I get that. When, uh, in fact, I, I recall I was, a, I think I was about 11 or 12, and I wanted to liberate myself from the tyranny of my parents' oppression. Because they, they used to practice what we would call a level of, of familial socialism, which was known as the allowance for children, which is essentially if you could warm a piece of mirror, you got paid money at the end of the week when dad got paid. But my folks were, uh, there wasn't any strings attached to it, but sort of. There wasn't any chore list we had to do to get it. But they go, well, I don't know. You were kind of naughty this week. Like, oh, you know, I'm not doing this. I thought to myself because I didn't want to be killed. And so, uh, so I, I, my first job was a, was a bag boy at Big D Ranch Market on Gage Avenue. And 
Huntington Park. <laughs> not Huntington Beach. Not, don't get that out of your mind. This is Huntington Park. And, and, uh, and so on Friday, it was glorious. There was this little white envelope. My name was on it. I said, this is for you. You're kidding. I opened it up. You know what it was? $47.82. Now, this is 1969, I think. Dude, that was like having a wad in your wallet. I was like pimp daddy Octavio going there. Skinny with horrible polyester bell bottoms. Because we used to put the yes in polyester back in those days. And, um, but I was like the BMOC, man. I was the big man on campus. I had a job. And I would buy all sorts of candy. And uh, my favorite was the little bag of uh, gum that was the bag of gold gum. Remember that? Anybody old enough? And Nesco chocolate wafers because I was treating my body like the temple that it was. and um, Yeah, I mean, I had a job. See, now that's okay if you're a kid to think in terms of your money to buy your stuff. But when you hit, you know, 22, 32, 42, if you still have that mentality, you know that game is way, way old. It just doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Because it, it, there's a funny thing about stuff that we own. When, you, when, when it's just stuff just for the sake of having it, even enjoying it, eventually it begins to own you. And, and um, you know, the idea of simply working for money to pay for more stuff or places to put your stuff and insurance to insure your stuff and then money to pay to use your stuff, it, you make you, why am I doing this? It was funny, just uh, after the first talk, somebody went out of here, she goes, you know, I, I, I want to go to Africa and serve and do something well. I said, whoa, slow down, don't go crazy. <laughs> We need you to give. No, we, we'd, uh, uh, th- the point was that, I said, you know, you, you, that might be the thing, but you could actually give to people around you. There are people who are dying that actually are, are thirsty for meaning and service, and they have, you have something that they need. And you may find that the meaning you're looking for are people that are just right around you, sitting well-dressed in, in cubicles, professionals. It's not people that are we would think, oh, they're in such need and in poverty. I, I can bring something meaningful to them. You probably can. But there are people right next to you at your job that you can engage and serve and care for. And now I, I recognize this may sound Pollyannish, and you go, well, you know, geez, you don't work in the real world. You're a pastor. I get that. I used to think that too. Because I had a very high, low, high and low view of people who were, quote, in ministry. When I met somebody who was in the ministry who was a pastor, I used to think, oh, can't get a real job, huh? And then when folks would approach me on the notion of maybe doing and working at a church, I thought, wow, I don't want to ruin God's reputation. There are enough jerks in ministry. I don't want to be another one, you know? So I, had a, I was torn between that high and low view of, of people in ministry. So for those of you who are thinking, well, you don't know what it's like to have a job. Yes, I do. I absolutely know what that's like. I did that for 35 plus, since I was 12, so that makes it, oh my gosh, 40 years. I know exactly what that's like. And I know what it's like to get up, go to bed on Sunday, bored, knowing that you're just going to wake up. You, you know, it's funny, you try to stay awake as long as possible to enjoy your freedom, but you're not even free because you're thinking about having to get up to go to work. And then you get up to go to work, and you just, you're just... Ugh. Now, if, you know, if you're a guy, you've got a family, you're like, well, this is what I've got to do. This is, this is it. This is my job. I mean, I have, I have a wife, I have a kids, I have to do it. I don't have to like it. And you remember that old saying? Well, you don't have to like it. That's why they call it work. But that doesn't work for us, does it? <laughs> it's like, why can't it be enjoyable? Here was one of the first things I did to try to 
bring a sense of meaning to my job. I used to actually, um, are you, do you have that work environment where if you go to Subway for a sandwich, people expect you to take their order too? You know that? Or like if there's a, if there's a supply booth, desk, storeroom, and you go get post the notes, you go, oh, dude, you could, why didn't you give me some staples? I said, well, because you know, you're not crippled, and I felt that you should exercise your legs. You know? <laughs> I'm trying to do you a service. So I remember I began thinking in terms of, okay, let me, let me try to be decent and kind to these people and offer to help. So I, I, I would, before lunch, I would stand up. Does anybody want me to go somewhere? <laughs> Nobody? Okay, I walk out. But uh, sure enough, there'd be some hound, you know, half dog, half human, that would hear and, uh, <laughs> you're going to Subway? <sighs> yes, I am. And then I'd be that guy with the, the separate little envelopes of, people's sandwiches and get the change and everybody I knew was hating me I could feel their eyeballs burning into my back like I hate this jerk or the, what, the guy at the Starbucks or the woman that has the order for seven different drinks and they're all skinny latte you know lemon twist face the east when you make it like oh come on it's just coffee move on here's the funny thing that happened along the way that I began to like the people I worked with more and they began to like me a, bit, a lot more and I realized that I didn't like to bring my work home. I really wanted to disconnect from my job because I just felt like that's just something I have to do. This is what I get to do. Like I, my job was for the life that I wanted to live. And so my job had no life for me. See, I know that some of you are in that mindset. You're in that cycle of thinking that your job is just what you have to do to get to do what you want to do. This is why you, you, were like, you, you get TGIF. In fact, on Thursdays, you're already partying like it's TGIF. <laughs> and then you, when you're just thrilled at the notion that you get two weeks or four weeks or six weeks, depending on your seniority, of time off with pay to do what you want to do. But see, here's the funny thing. If, if you're just thinking about your job in terms of money, yeah, I'll say it. You're just a small step above a prostitute. You've set the price for your soul what you're willing to sell it for. Right? And I, I, I recall that once I understood this, I was just a small step from that. I mean, to me, I, I, I had almost zero, lo- no, I, I did have zero loyalty to a company. I knew it was a business transaction. I gave you my time. You paid me my dollars. We're even. I can even recall when I was leaving one job, some manager was like, I can't believe you, after so many years you're going to leave. Where's your loyalty? Are you kidding me? Loyalty? Dude, if you didn't need me, I would be gone in a heartbeat. You wouldn't give me two seconds of thinking. This is a business transaction. I'm out of here. I mean, I just had a very calloused business view of work and my time until I began to bring meaning to the job. So that even in, in, in uh, volunteering in the Spanish-speaking unit of my job for the phone company where we, I would take calls from people who, were, who only spoke Spanish. And what drove me to that was realizing how my parents, who were illegal immigrants back in the 50s, uh, you know, it, it just, you know, well, they weren't necessarily catered to like perhaps it is now, depending on your view of how we help people who don't speak the language. And so they had to, you know, work through that issue. But I, I realized, okay, let me help people who don't speak English uh, manage their resources and, and help them out with their bills and get through all that confusing stuff. And you know what? It was probably one of the most liberating times where I felt fulfilled because I was bringing something of value and of meaning to the job. 
In my head, I could, I could picture my tia Licha, I could picture my, my uh, other tios, my mom, my dad, other people that I knew that they're calling, asking for help. They just want to do the right thing in many cases, and I'm able to help them. And then I recall when, they, when folks, you know, the policy came in, the calls had to be under three minutes, and because there were so many volumes of calls you had to take in and help, and, you know, sometimes it, then you had to look for another way to bring meaning to the job or explain more quickly. The job is not a place to find meaning. Your job's a place to express your meaning. It's not going to be the thing that will fulfill you. It's almost like the same myth that someone else completes you. I mean, Jerry Maguire did relationships a huge disservice. You complete me. No, it doesn't happen. No mere mortal can complete another mortal. So that's one illusion I hope to bust. But the second one is that their job can give you meaning. It won't. It's not capable of doing so. It's not meant to do so. You work for, if you work for meaning and not for money, the, the, most of the work you'll do will feel so meaningless and so, and so empty. And, and your job will have no meaning. Your life will have no meaning. And even the stuff will begin to mock you. Um, some of you, well, I'll, I'll speak about Lily and I. She's not here, so she can't stop me. <laughs> But, you know, some of you, you know this. Those of you who've been married a few years, you know what it's like. You know, when, when you're in love and you care for the person, you can have a, a you know, macaroni and cheese with, with uh, a wiener shared, you know, sliced so it looks fuller in your plate. Uh, and it's like a it's like gourmet meal. But if you're not connected, if you're unhappy, even steak is like dust and ash in your mouth. And what I'm trying to point out is that, see, it's not even, um, it's not your environment that brings meaning to your job. It's, oh, have I worked in L.A.? I mean, I love going to L.A., but I realize I don't work there like I used to. I and you know what, you know the worst, the town that I used to love that I began to hate for a while was Santa Barbara, because that was a new territory. I had to break some new groundwork in, a, in launching a, an advertising program there. It's like, I used to like Santa Barbara, now I kind of hate it, you know, because you have to work there. It's not the environment. It's always you. Well, if I worked in an office building, if I worked out in the rural area, if I was a mid-level manager, if I was a brand-new employee, if I, it's not the job. It's you. And even I, I, and I feel some of you guys are pushing back on this, saying, no, you don't know my boss. Listen, everybody's worked for a jerk boss. Some of you have been that jerk boss. If they control your happiness, you've surrendered way too much power to them. Just like you might have settled way too low for the price of your soul. If it's just money to buy stuff, I mean, you might have really sold out for way, way, way too little. Now, again, I know, listen, some of you are, are leveraged. You have a house note that matches your, uh, your net pay, and you're upside down in your house. And uh, you have boats to pay for. You have car to, that's leasing that's due. You have insurance. You have kids in school. And... and I get it. I'm not telling you you have to walk away from all that. I'm just saying is that if you want to experience a bit of meaning in that position, in that job, so that it's not sucking the life out of your soul, you have to bring meaning to it. You have to find meaning in what you're doing and recognize that it's an opportunity to engage people, humanity, and actually serve them and make their life maybe just a little bit better. Now, before you say that sounds kind of polyandish and silly, it, it suggests to me that perhaps that's how damaged your soul might be. That you've given up on believing in, in beauty and in miracles 
and in romance and everything else. Some jobs, I mean, you, you probably have seen this. There are people <clears throat> at the same job, one person loves what they're doing, the other person hates it. Is it the job or is it the person? See, I tend to think it's the person. Like I pointed out, it, it is not ever going to be the job. Please get out of the illusion of thinking that if you just changed your job, you'll feel better about yourself. How many of you got that promotion that you always wanted and you found out, why did I want to do this? I recall uh, several times folks would ask me, hey, we'd like you to manage a team. I go, no, I've done that. Oh, no, we think you'd be good at it. I said, I'm, I'm sure I would be, but I don't want to manage 15 people like myself. I'm done with that. I've done it. And one of the last jobs I was recruited for before I came to work here full time, and, and instead of volunteering back in November, there was this job. But it was, you know, the fellow that was, he was replacing himself. He was moving to a, uh, a regional territory position level. Anyway, so, buck 25 a year. Here's the territory. Here's the, uh, here's the, uh, the revenue. We'd like you to maintain it. I go, excuse me, I'm sorry. Did you say maintain it? Yes. So what's the gain you want me to bring back? No gain, maintain it. I go, okay, I'm sorry. I, I know I'm, you're explaining a job to me that pays pretty well and involves travel and a corporate card for dining and whining and the customers. What do you mean there's no gain you want me to bring back? Hey, this is a very rich territory. It's, 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 you know, it's a great cash flow for us. We're just happy if you maintain it. You don't have to bring it back again. I was tempted. I mean, it was an interesting job. Not, not really. <laughs> really. Uh, I tell you, here's the, here was the deal breaker. I mean, all summer long, I, was, I knew that I was, had a, I was thinking about uh, uh, my work with AT&T, managing the cities that I did, and, and the volunteer work I was doing here. And, and then those offers, there was a couple of offers on the table for another position. But here was the thing that actually broke the deal for me. This was a single owner company. It was a specialty company that had software to the banking industry, um, financial service industry. And, uh, but the fellow who was recruiting me, who was also a believer, said, hey, on this, on this third interview with the owner, kind of downplay that Christian thing. He's not really into it. I thought, well, I don't know why that feels slimy. And so, you know, when someone says don't do something, are you that person that says... I'm going to. <laughs> like when you see a sign that says stop, you go, I don't even listen to my wife. Why would I? Why would I listen to a mindless piece of metal, you know? So, you know, I, I of course, look for cops and then I blow through it. No, I, I, I will stop. So I remember when, I think his name was Jim or James, whatever, he introduced himself. So he goes, oh, so tell me about yourself. I said, well, I love my church work and what I get to do. And I could feel... Uh, and he's like, and the HR manager, and, the, and it was, he was kind, 15 minutes, he left the room, he goes, dude, what, were you, what happened? I said, bro, I, you know, if, if he doesn't, I, this is the package, it's whatever he's getting. If he doesn't, for, you know, some Christian, okay, but at least my cards are out front. I don't have to worry about slipping and mention I went to church, or that I pastor a church, or that I volunteer at a church, you know? I just can't be that guy. It was, it was a good decision. I mean, I, I think it was the right one. 125000 you know. 
all the good I could have done. No, no, no. Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. It, it will never be a job that will give you a sense of meaning or purpose in your life until you, ha- until you bring it. Your job is a place where you get to express it. And, and if, if, if I can help you understand that in your career choices or in the path that you're in right now, you'll be some, so much more satisfied with what you get to do. See, now, I granted Solomon is speaking as a person who is disconnected from God. And that's probably maybe the first step that's important is, to, is, to, is for a sense of meaning and identity. Is to connect to God through Jesus Christ. In fact, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 6 for just a moment. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires, but God does not enable them to enjoy them. And a stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless and a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity, after all, don't we all go to the same place? Boy, that's kind of a bleak view, isn't it? Have you ever had that sense of creeping up on you, though? I want to close with a couple of thoughts, and, and, and uh, we have some, some announcements. Um, there's a couple of illusions I want to, I want to break for you. <clears throat> Bust, destroy, whatever, okay? Mythbusters. The first one is that, that's about security. Security is an illusion. Always. Some of you have experienced your, you know, you saw your money disappear. On, you know, some, most of us were rich on paper just three years ago, four years ago, right? Look at my house's worth. Now I only, I only owe this much. And now you say, look at my house's worth and I owe this much, you know. Or perhaps you saw your stocks and, your, and, and all that changed. You, some of you know people who lived well, did right, and they dropped dead of something else. Now, I'm, not, I'm giving extreme examples, but I want to point out to you, security is an illusion. All right? That's number one. Number two, that the job can give you meaning. That's probably almost as important as the security is an illusion. Most of us will be in jobs, will work uh, in some capacity, because we'll have to. That's just, that's just the way set up. Some of us will do it because we have, to, um, we have commitments, we have jobs, things we have to pay for. Uh, there's, that is good. There's nothing wrong with that. Rent's got to be paid. Food's got to be bought. Light's got to stay on. But if it's just money for the sake of stuff or buying things, it, it is, it is you, it's not sustainable. I don't care how big stuff you get to buy. The, you know, you're, there comes a point when your steak is only so thick, your house is only so big, your bed's only so soft, and after that, it's just you. If you come to work to engage others, to help others, to encourage others, to serve others, you're bringing meaning to the job. And here's something else I know about a job. Um, that, that you have to bring your own kind of creativity to it somehow. You almost have to do the job that you're not getting paid for, and that is something that's actually artistic and creative and, and, and caring for doing something for somebody else. 
those are those things that are not definable. If your job, if the only job you do is what's specifically in your job description paper document, I, it, 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 it's, it's not enough. Haven't you found that out? And then you end up being owned by your job instead of owning your job. So, final thought here is, is that I pointed out earlier, I believe that it's, well, I'm convinced of this, is that it is Jesus who gives us meaning. He gives meaning to your life, He gives meaning to you, and He gives meaning to your work. So that you're actually satisfied with the work of your hands. It matters to you, it's not empty. So in regards to your job, I guess the last question I have is, how's it working for you? Father, what I pray uh, for us in this morning is, is that you help us to you know, quit chasing the idea that we could find meaning in our jobs alone instead of bringing meaning. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.